Imagine it's a beautiful day. Birds are singing, there's a light breeze. Endorphins are flowing, your mind's clear. It's just you and the great outdoors. Now imagine all that, except it's virtual. It's going up this hill, so Oh, oh no. sorry. <laughs> really taking away from the experience. Sorry. <laughs> Pretend I'm not here. But even with me breathing down your neck, or maybe because of that, it's pretty believable. The outdoors are taking a new form, and its impact could be less virtual and more reality. Outdoorsy folks, I hear you. You're skeptical. Nothing could possibly be as good as a walk in the woods. But aren't you curious to know just how good? Well, by dropping you into this alternate reality, these scientists can actually tell. You're listening to Litmus, a conversation with groundbreaking researchers from Northeastern University. We connect what's going on in their labs to what's going on in your life. I'm Aria Bracci. And I'm Emily Arnson. It was an awful, dreary day in Boston when we met up with Rachel Hopman. She's a postdoctoral research associate working in Northeastern Center for Cognitive and Brain Health. By the time we trudged over to her lab and shook all the rain off of us like actual dogs, we were more than ready to hear what Rachel had to say. I think just seeing um, a nice sunny day with trees and forests and plants influences our overall mood, which then has an influence on our cognitive behaviors. This is one of the things Rachel studies now, alongside Art Kramer and Charles Hillman, two Northeastern psychology professors. But this kind of work isn't new to her. Over the course of four and a half years there at the University of Utah, where she got her master's and PhD, I definitely grew to be a bit of an outdoor junkie. So I definitely think that's influenced my research and my love for nature. There's five national parks there, and it's just so breathtaking, and it's so intriguing. And I was in a lab working there in my graduate studies that had a big push towards being outside. So Rachel knows that a nice sunny day can do wonders for a grouch, and it might even make your brain work better. But there's another thing that can definitely make your brain work better. And we have found through previous studies that uh, moderate or acute bouts of physical activity actually improve this performance. So get outside, folks, and break a sweat. Combining the two is like magic, except not because it's science. But it was raining, remember, as it does in New England. And the outside was concrete, as it is in a city. So it's safe to say that a serene outdoor exercising experience wasn't in the cards for us. Plus, the very essence of what makes that beneficial, moving around in the wilderness, makes it inherently impossible to hook you up to a machine to measure those benefits. And so this is supposed to be an exercise contraption? Yes, <laughs> an exercise contraption. I like that. Um, so this center's trying something different. Can we try it? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, you go first. Okay. I'll, I'll hold this and maybe I can mic you while you're... Strapping in research participants yeah. to an omnidirectional oil-down treadmill, giving them a virtual reality headset that drops them onto an island, and handing them two joysticks. Um, our study is named NAVIGATE, which stands for Navigation and Active Virtual Interactive Gaming and Cognitive Training Environments. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> 
all of this is in its pilot phase, meaning it's just starting. We're just kind of getting this off the ground. There's a growing field in the work of virtual reality, but we're really the first to look at this in terms of physical activity as well. The idea is to recreate the great outdoors from the scenery, courtesy of the headset, to the act of hiking, or more, if you're feeling adventurous. So she could run if she wanted to. Yeah. Emily's trying to jump, but she can't because she's in a harness. But you can kind of run. You're standing in a type of shallow bowl, and as you step, your feet slide on the surface. It's not exactly like a treadmill because the surface doesn't move for you. It's a weird feeling. It feels, it really does feel like you're in a dream. Like, you know, like when you're trying to run in a dream and you can't. Oh, do I? That's my least favorite kind of dream. You're about to hate this then. <laughs> you're basically in control because you can really go any direction you want, but it's still kind of weird. You know you're not moving because there's no traction. Yeah, I like I'm, like, I'm looking for some like friction on my feet just to make it feel like... I'm actually putting in the right amount of effort to get where I'm going. But it does the job. And what you're seeing, it's gorgeous. Oh my god. Is that the water? Whoa. Wait, go to the beach. <gasps> oh my god. It's so blue. Looks like mouthwash. So just imagine that lapping waves and just ah, warmth, fresh air. Even as you move away from the shore, there's plenty of fluffy clouds, huge trees, some cliffs, lakes. Then just when you feel all warm and fuzzy, Rachel and the other researchers step in to figure out exactly what that means for your brain. So we right now are looking at cognitive behavior. So people's ability to attend to information, inhibit their um, initial reactions, and using what's called executive functioning, or there's like higher order skills that are needed to pay attention and to um, process your environment on a regular basis. So how do they measure this? <gasps> Cognitive tests. Little quizzes. So if you were a participant, I would say congratulations. You've made it to your first checkpoint. I would give you a code to remember, and you would have to recall it at the second checkpoint. So you'd have oh, to hold okay. that code in your head and then get to your next checkpoint and then repeat that code. Got it. Do you want me to give you a code? Sure. The code is Another kind of test might be an inhibition task. Think exercising the kind of restraint it takes to eat what's good for you instead of what you really want. So an inhibition task, for example, they would see some arrows appear on the screen. Um, they're asked to only respond to the direction of the center arrow and ignore any flanking arrows. So for now, this is a way for psychologists to measure how physical activity affects your ability to do these kinds of mental gymnastics. But it could be even more for the right type of person. It's another way to explore cognition and exercise, I guess. And of course, it is encouraged that people are more physically active. So it's targeted towards gamers who maybe spend a lot of time sedentary playing games. But I think it has a lot of... Um, practical uses in the modern world as people get into more technology and use technology in different ways. This is definitely one of the different ways that it could be used. Um, so just to make sure that we're understanding, is, is this used to 
keep somebody in a constrained space so that you can monitor their cognitive activity while they're exercising? Or is this supposed to be a way for people to exercise in the future? Or is it both? I guess both. Yes, definitely. And believe me, it's a pretty good stand-in. It's hard. So we track heart rate while people are going around the environment. Mm -hmm. And we find that their heart rate actually gets up to about 130 to 140 on average just by walking. So in general, a typical healthy younger adult would be at like 110. So it is a little bit more work, Mm -hmm. definitely. It's really hard work. I was like a little bit sweaty. Sure. We've had <laughs> And I'll let you in on a little secret in case you couldn't hear it in our panting. It's even more work when you come up to a hill. And that's programmed right into the software. They have trackers on their feet. So they kind of look like gladiator sandals but made with like seat belts. Regardless of how fast your real human feet are moving in the trackers, your virtual gait maxes out at a certain speed when you hit something steep. When you're on flat ground, you move just about as fast as you're going in real life. So the thing you're standing on, the treadmill, it's called the Virtuix Omni. It's a commercial product that anyone can buy. So the real crux of this research is the virtual environment. It has to be immersive and pretty convincing. So where did it come from? It started from a virtual space. If you think of like the matrix, it's just an open space. And he built this virtual island that they get to explore using just a map and a compass. The he here is Ruming Wong, a recent graduate of Northeastern's Game Science and Design Master's program. My job is uh, building the virtual world in virtual reality. And I'm working with psychologists to make sure that the environment is exactly what they needed. I, I just am so curious about like how you started making this. Like you started from nothing, I'm assuming. Like it was just like build build this virtual world. Like how do you how do you even begin? We got a stuff called Stamp. Basically uh, a template of a mountain or a mesa or a plane that extracted from the real world and we stamped them on the map. It is actually Uh, composed by small pieces of real world terrain. It's the kind of island that you could hypothetically find somewhere in the northern hemisphere. But it's not a real place, so Ruming had to patch it all together from scratch. So when the terrain is first created, it's just uh, hues without colors, without trees. And when I put the headset on, I was like, hmm, that's weird. But I think I'm onto something good there. So what are some of the other weird things? Ah, okay, how about this? In a traditional video game... Even if your character is moving really fast, uh, your brain knows you're looking at the screen. So everything's fine. But if you put the virtual reality headset on and you are moving with a controller instead of your leg, your brain knows this is weird because apparently my eyes told me I'm moving, but my other parts of body are not telling me I'm moving. So you will feel sick, like really, really sick, because your brain is like, abort, abort. This is not going to end well. Oh, don't I know it. Oh, my God. Do people ever get motion sick in this? My stomach's starting to feel a little weird. Yeah, you don't need to make it to the checkpoint. You certainly do not if you don't want to. It's not 100% perfect yet. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, look down again? You have no reflection. How does that make you feel? No, look. Oh, sorry. No, I do. You're just hands. But it's still a really amazing step to the right direction.
Yes, steps. This is a step into the future. We all know that it feels good to be outside or to work out or both, but this is a step toward understanding why it feels good, what it's doing to our brains. When I heard that there's a chance for me to turn my game-making skill into something uh, unique and helps people, I'm really excited and I was like, I'm in. Imagine all that could come out of this, whether it's earth-shaking findings on just how good a jog in the park is for you, or a whole new way for people to jog in the park altogether. All we can say for now is, on that gray day, anything seemed better than sprinting down a busy street in the rain. So are virtual reality natural environments comparable to real-world natural environments? <laughs> of course it's not perfect. Virtual reality is not the exact same. It's not going to give you the same feelings as completely being away. But it definitely has some of those positive aspects, I think. just Better seeing, believe it. Uh, I mean, come on. Even creating the environment feels good. So each time I put my headset on, the scenery is different. And that's a really weird experience because you got this really gamey environment first and you saw it step by step turning into a scenery that resembled the real world and that's really exciting. Yeah. TBH, this is much better than being outside right now. It is a nasty day in beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah, I would, I would like to be where this is. Special thanks to Rachel Hopman and Ru Meng Wong, and to the Center for Cognitive and Brain Health at Northeastern. Anthony Polito is our sound engineer. David Filipov is our editor. From Northeastern University, this is Litmus. I'm Aria Rachi. And Emily Arnson. Catch you next time. <laughs>